0: You got your Bibles. Open to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And 1 Kings chapter 18. Matthew 6 and 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, our study today starts with this question. Have you ever had to pick a side on something before? You ever had to pick a side? Some of you are like, yes, it's D.C. all the time, right? Um, here's the deal. We're going to go with it uh, from a little bit different perspective. But if you ever had to pick a side before? I can tell you, uh, for my family, we experienced this in a pretty powerful way this week. Uh, uh, I don't know about you guys. Uh, everything was so intense happening here in the city. I told Autumn uh, this week, I said, you know, can we just get out of town and not like to travel, but just to leave the city limits and, and just leave the beltway and, and just take a deep breath. And so we made the decision that we were going to drive to a little place called Ocean City, Maryland. And so never been there before, uh, but drove to Ocean City. And i tell you what, it's a lot of fun, way more fun, I'm sure, during the summer than it was in January. But uh, uh, but we drove out there. Had seemed like I had a bunch of nice places to eat. We really were just in the Car there was a playground on the beach where it was about thirty degrees outside where we let the kids run and play for about thirty minutes and then we loaded up back in the car and we drove back to DC. But the most exciting point of the drive happens. I'd never been across this before. On the other side, some of you make the drive to Annapolis. There's this massive bridge right on the other side of Annapolis where you go across the bay. And I'm telling you, it is huge. And so we're driving that direction. Our son Jack, our nine year old Jack, sees that bridge and. Jack Jack is freaking out. He says, we're going on that. We're going on that bridge. And we're like, yes, son, we're going on that bridge. And so Jack's freaking out. But something happened that day that we were driving. They decided on the eastbound section, there's two bridges side by side, one that goes eastbound and then one that goes westbound. And on the eastbound bridge, they were closing one lane to work on one side. And because I guess there was more traffic flowing out than in at this portion of the day, they closed it off and there was a barrier that forced you to either drive one lane here or there was another way that you could go on the other side. But here's the problem. I've never driven across that bridge before. And so I'm like, what do I do? The GPS is telling me to go this way, but I'm forced by traffic to go on this other side. And so I was so nervous about, am I going to make the wrong decision? And I've got Jack over there yelling, we're going on the bridge, we're going on the bridge. And I'm like, ah, I must choose this day whom I serve, right? Do I go to the right or do I go to the left? And I'm telling You, they both end up at the same spot, but you don't know that the first time you're driving it. So finally, I just go, ah, we can't get over there. Let's go to the left. We go to the left side, and then it's like, oh, we're all headed to the same place, right? Now, listen, I tell you that to say this. It's one thing when it's a bridge, there are a lot of us going through life, and you can play the middle. But if I play the middle, I am in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay, all right? (laughs) You have to make a choice. Do I go to the right? or do I go to the left? Do I go on this bridge, or do I go on this bridge? And sometimes the bridges lead to the same place. When it comes to eternity, there is one bridge that leads to the Father. There's one bridge that leads to eternity and forgiveness. There's one bridge that leads to Jesus. If you're taking notes, I've got a great verse here for you from the mouth of the Son of God himself, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Here's what Jesus says. He says, no one can serve two masters. Underline and highlight, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now look at this, Jesus adds a little commentary here at the end. You cannot serve both God and money. I'm gonna stop there for just a minute. In this passage, Jesus says, when the divide comes, you do have to choose. There's a lot of stuff in this world where we can play the middle. There's a lot of stuff in this world where we can stay mobile and we can try to stay out of making a hard line decision. But the truth is, at the end of the day, either you is or you isn't. It's just the way that it goes. And Jesus says, specifically, you cannot serve both God and money. Either money is your God or money is submissive to your God. You can't serve two masters. In, the, in your heart of hearts, you either hate one and you love the other or you love one and you hate the other best example i can give this to you by the way is the game musical chairs you ever play musical chairs before when you were a kid musical chairs by the way musical chairs with adults still way fun all right just want to point that out musical chairs we played it in our youth group when i was growing up our student ministry group and we'd play it with groups of like 40 and 50 that would show up in the evenings and the whole goal of musical chairs is you start with one less chair than the number of people in the room and so if you've ever played musical chairs with a large group before when you've got 40 chairs out there everybody just kind of walks around and you've got your eye on your chair and then you just kind of lazily sit down and then one person's knocked off but again because they're 40 of you, it's not so big a deal. You ever watched him when it gets down to one chair and just two people left? It goes from just kind of easily passing by to when there's one chair, I mean, it looks like a knife fight going on, you know what I mean? Where they got one hand on the chair, they got one hand on this side. One time we were playing with the youth group, it got down to one chair, and no lie, the guy that was trying to win, very, very athletic, was trying to get the last chair, and he's on the back side whenever they push the music to turn off, He took the chair, pulled it out from underneath the person trying to sit in it, threw it across the room, tackled the person, and then ran and sat in the chair on the other side of the room. That was a bit excessive, all right? (laughs) Now listen, some of you are that competitive, and you're like, I'm going to remember that just in case I play adult musical chairs, all right? Now listen to me. In your life, you get one master's throne, And there is one thing that sits in that chair. There is one thing that sits in that chair. And listen to me. That chair, that throne, was made for Almighty God in your life. And when there are 40 chairs out there, it's really easy to allow your relationship with Christ to be part of the musical chairs game. But when there's one chair left, Jesus says you hate one and you love the other. At the end of the day, it is a very powerful thing for men and women, whether they are Christians or not, to know what sits in the chair of power in your life. What sits on the throne? What is the most important thing to you? I've given you this example before. One of my favorite movies of all time is City Slickers with Billy Crystal from back in the day. Don't go watch it. The language is atrocious. I don't want you to pick me apart for that. But uh, uh, again, uh, City Slickers, great movie. He's turning 39 years old. I love that movie so much. My mom, my brother, and my sister bought me an autographed poster. I just turned 39 this year. They bought me a Billy Crystal autographed City Slickers poster for my 39th birthday. The scene that's the powerful scene in the movie is where Jack Palance, the old cowboy, looks at Billy Crystal. And you remember Billy Crystal's life's a mess. He can't figure out why he can't gain any traction. And then all of a sudden, Jack Palance looked at him and says, you know what you're missing? He says, it's this. And Billy Crystal says, your finger? And he says, no, it's one thing. Just one thing. What Billy Crystal is being told by the old cowboy is that each one of us have one throne. And one thing can sit on it. That's it. Everything else in your life bows in submission, listen to me, to your God. Whatever it is that sits in that chair in your life is your God. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? There is space, there's only space for one God in your life. In all honesty, who is it? Let me ask you again. There is only space for one God in your life. In all honesty, who is it? Even for you who are believers in Jesus Christ in this room, what is it that all of your life bows in submission to? Even for those of you who are not believers in Jesus Christ in this room, what is it that all of your life bows into submission to? Because there is one thing for each and every one of us. And I want to tell you as a minister of the gospel, if it's anything but Jesus, it will be less than what you could be living. It it will be less than what you were intended to do. It's a powerful thing for us to know who it is that we serve and what power that God has in our lives. If you're taking notes, write this down. Our big million-dollar question today, why is it important to consider who or what you serve? Let me ask that again. Why is it important to consider who or what you serve? You see, we live in a culture that's very interesting we portray with our mouths and even to an extent with our actions what we would like others to think sits on that throne in our lives. But today I would like to ask you to be true to yourself and to be honest. I'm not going to make any of you comment in front of the group. not going to make any of you comment on Facebook. But I'd like it if today you'd be honest. What is your God? What sits on the throne in your life And for those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, that thing should be our relationship with the Almighty. Let's look at the story real quick. Now flip over to 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're going to start in verse 20, continuing our study of the story of Elijah, King Ahab, and now the showdown that happens on Mount Carmel. As you're flipping that direction, this is usually a sermon that's preached, or a passage that's preached as just one big sermon. We divided it up into three parts for good reason, and I hope that you'll be able to see and understand that today. The prophets of Baal and Asherah, it's 950 total that are going to be trying to praise and to try to call out for. For help from this false God. Uh, this story in itself is a capsule because it is their life story. It's what their lives have produced. And here's how we get to that point. Three and a half years before this moment, Elijah has gone before King Ahab and the nation of Israel and said, the Lord God Almighty has said, there is not going to be an ounce of rain that falls uh, until uh, my word is spoken. Spoken on behalf of Almighty God. Elijah then goes into hiding for three and a half years. We've been studying that story. And then he finally shows back up and King Ahab looks at him in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a drought, in the midst of a famine and remember not only are the people starving but they don't even have work to do because it's an agricultural economy and there's not been any precipitation. So they're sitting there they're nervous, they're scared and when Elijah comes in, King Ahab looks at him and says, it's you you troubler of Israel. You're the one who's caused all these problems. And at that point Elijah fires back and goes me? You think I've caused these problems? You know that Yahweh is the one True God, and yet you've run after these false gods, Baal and Asherah, gods that don't even exist, that don't have any power, and you know, King Ahab, that they don't have any power. So now look at verse 20. And then all of a sudden, Elijah says, gather up all the prophets of Baal, gather up all the prophets of Asherah, and let's get together along with the entire country and let's gather together on Mount Carmel. Look at verse 20. It says, so Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Stop right there for just a minute. How does the entire nation get to be assembled? Because there is no work to do. There is no food to eat. They got nothing to watch on TV at this point. They got no books to. At this point. So guess what? The entire nation has showed up for this showdown to figure out what's going to happen between the 950 prophets of Baal and Asherah and also between the prophet of Yahweh, Elijah. They all show up, and right there in that moment, look at what Elijah says in verse 21. He says, Elijah, it says, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? The divide on the highway. You can't stay in the middle because you're going to end up in Chesapeake Bay. you got to pick a side. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Look at the end here. But the people said nothing in this moment, realizing they cannot continue serving two gods and that one of them is false. He says, make your decision, and the people still choose to play the middle. Look at what happens in verse 22. It says, then Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. And remember from the previous verse, there's 400 prophets of Asherah. He says, get two bulls for us. Let us choose, from, choose one of them for, our, for themselves and let them cut the bull into pieces and put it on the wood, but don't set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it as well. Then you can call on the name of the Lord your God, or the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And it says, and the God who answers by fire, he is God." Now look at what it says here at the end. It says, then all the people said, what you say is good. Don't miss this before they have said nothing when Elijah says choose this day whom you will serve pick a side how long will you waver between two opinions and all of a sudden they sit silent but remember they're up on the mountainside and you've got the 450 prophets of Baal on one side the 400 prophets of Asherah you've got King Ahab Queen Jezebel you've got the people in between and then you've got Elijah all alone representing the one true God Yahweh on the other side and he says how about this how about we do a showdown each one of us Provide a bull and we call down fire from heaven, and the Lord that produces the God that produces fire that we cannot do on our own, then that is the God. Now, don't miss this. They say this is good. Any lawyers here in this room? What is the thing you want to do? If you have real flimsy evidence in a case, what is the thing that you want to do before that thing ever gets to trial? You want to settle right? Because you know that if it gets to trial, it's a roll of the dice on whether or not that judge and that jury are going to see things the same way that you do. What Elijah has done is Elijah has waited to spring the plan on Ahab and the prophets of Baal until the mob is present And then all of a sudden he goes, you've been settling all this time. Let's have a jury trial right here, right now. Let's present evidence and let's see what decision is made. And can I tell you what happened with those prophets of Baal and Asherah? They sat there and went, oh, junk, we can't settle this one. From this moment forward, don't miss this. No matter how devout they were in these principles and this belief, they knew that the God sitting on their throne could not send fire. From the moment this action has taken place, the very best the prophets of Baal can do is a draw that neither God sends any fire because they know in their heart of hearts, they know that this is a theology that they've crafted, that this is a graven image that they have built with their own hands, that this is something they have sold to the people that is not real. And Elijah looks at them and says, let's have a showdown. And the people go, you know what? What you say is good. And those prophets of Baal probably went, oh no, the lid's about to be pulled off of this Tupperware dish. (laughs) Let's see how this thing smells. If you're taking notes, why is it important to consider who or what you serve? Number one, first and foremost, your master's strength will be tested. Whatever sits on that throne will be tested in your life. You will have to make decisions. If power, if money, if fame sit on that throne in your life, a point will come when you have to choose that thing over your faith. A point will come when you have to choose that thing over your family. A point will come when you have to choose that over your, again, belief in Scripture and your commitment to Almighty God. A moment will come when that God will show itself. And then you will be tested alongside your master's strength. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you don't take anything else away from today, take this, are you ready? There will be days when you need things that are beyond your control. Serve a God that can do something about it. Let me say that again. There will be days when you need things that are beyond your control. Serve a God that can do something about it. Sometimes we lie to ourselves about what our God actually is. But you know the truth on the inside if you're truly introspective. I want to give you a silly example. I got two teams, sports teams, that I adore. Many of you have heard many, many stories. You'll hear many, many more. But Texas Tech University and Oklahoma State University are my two favorite teams in the entire world. Texas Tech, because I grew up in Lubbock, Every picture of me as a little kid is me in a Texas Tech shirt or a Texas Tech jersey. First games I ever went to were Texas Tech games. And I tell you, I love the Red Raiders. I root for them. Autumn and I went to the Final Four to watch them in overtime lose the national championship. It was so close. We were so proud of the team. But my money and my educational experience happened at Oklahoma State University. I got to choose to go there. I wanted to leave town, just so you know. Okay, wanted to leave town. Grew up in Lubbock, wanted to leave town and had the greatest experience in Stillwater. Got to preach at FCA, got to make lifelong friends. Um, It just was a wonderful experience too. And for most of the year, I can root for and cheer for both of them. But once a year, I am reminded whom I serve I am reminded who sits in the chair. And can I just tell you, I need to apologize to some of you because it's gonna hurt some of your feelings. I bleed orange and black on the inside. Oklahoma State's the school that was my alma mater. And on the day when Texas Tech and Oklahoma State play each other, I know in my heart of hearts who I root for, whether I like it or not. Now listen to me, for some of you in this room, with your mouth, with what you wear, with your actions, you still lie. You portray who it is you would like to serve or who you think the rest of the world would like for you to serve. But in your heart of hearts, you get one God. It's the reason that in the 10 Commandments, the very first Commandments, the very first Commandment is worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's funny. It says there shall have no other gods before me. My dad used to preach it this way. He said, you realize, his exact words where he said, you realize God wouldn't waste one of the big 10 on brass Buddhas.' That was the exact words he used to say. God doesn't waste one of the big 10 on some golden image that we've created. It's the concept of something else sitting on the throne of your life and ultimately being what you submit everything else in your life to. That is your God. And for the believer in Jesus Christ, the Lord must be our God. He's the only one that can send fire. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? He addresses this question. Do you serve a powerless master? Do you serve a powerless master? The prophets of Baal, the best they can hope for from the very beginning is a draw, and they know that. But it's been done in front of the country. There is no way to settle outside of court. This is going to trial. And now let's look at what happens in that trial. First Kings chapter 18, verses 26 and 27. It says, So the prophets of Baal took the bull given to them, and they prepared it. And they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Underline morning till noon. This is somewhere between three and four hours that they run a worship service. Some of you are like, I can barely stand an hour in here, all right? Imagine three to four hours. And they call upon the name of Baal. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And then it says, so then they upped their game. They danced around the altar that they have made. Here's the picture that you've got in this passage. Here's the altar with the God. God that doesn't exist sitting in it. Something they've created with their own hands. And what do they do? They start off and they go, oh, we were unprepared for this. There's 950 of us. There's one of him. Uh, Let's just do what we've done before. Baal, send fire. Baal, send fire. And for three hours they call out to Baal and they go, nothing's working. You know, I really feel Baal's presence when I get moving a little bit. The aerobic workout, right? So they dance around the altar. Let's add some music and movement to this. Maybe that's what'll send fire. Maybe that's what will... Maybe, maybe this Baal God will all of a sudden see our devotion and look upon us with favor, but he doesn't stink and exist. So they cry out and look at what happens. It says next in verse, where are we at? 27? No, 20 yet 27. It says at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said, surely he is a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. Stop right there for just a minute. What we have in this next portion is as they're crying out for Baal to send fire, as they begin to dance around the altar to escalate their behavior, to try to coax this fake God into doing something, all of a sudden Elijah looks and he yells out at them and he begins to taunt them. But don't miss this. He's not yelling at the prophets of Baal. He's speaking to the crowd in between. Look, they don't have a clue who they actually serve. this was about them, this was not about their God actually being real. So he says, what is he? Deep in thought? Is he asleep? Is he traveling? Can I tell you, by the way, what some scholars say? Some scholars say it is possible that word used for deep in thought is the same word used for taking a dump. Seriously. Elijah may have, in a borderline irreverent statement, said, is your God in the bathroom? Surely he is a God. I know we're doing a showdown for the one true God, but surely this guy's got some power if you've given your life to it, but he's not speaking to the prophets. He's speaking to the people. Watch who they are serving, and the person has no power. The God has no power. If you're taking notes, write this down. Why is it important to consider who or what you serve? Number one, because your master's strength will be tested, and number two, your master's strength will be analyzed by others your master's strength will be analyzed by others. At the end of your life, people will look at you and what your life was all about, whether you like it or not, and they're going to look back and say, this is what he or she served, and this is what he or she in their life actually produced. Is it something that's eternal, or is it something that will perish just like everything else? We watched a documentary on the life of someone who, by many stretches, could be considered the most successful person of this age. We watched a documentary on Bill Gates. Has been the richest person in the world numerous times, numerous years, was a part of a group in Silicon Valley that has affected change throughout the world on numerous different levels, and got into the vaccine business. He not only touched us figuratively, the research that his groups have done will touch the bodies physically of just about every person on planet Earth by the time all of this is said and done. Now listen to me, I'm not making a vax comment, don't miss this. In the documentary on Netflix on his life, there's a point where they're peppering him with questions. It's a young guy. Peppering him with questions. And he's getting hit with so many questions in a row The answer that he gives to this particular question was very, very honest. And if you watch on Netflix, you know how on Netflix you leave your clicker on it long enough, like the the trailer pops up? This is on the trailer of this Netflix documentary on his live. He peppers him with questions and says, what are you afraid of? And then all of a sudden Bill Gates pauses and he says, I'm afraid my brain will stop working. Please don't miss this. One of the richest, most powerful, most influential creatures of this age still looks to eternity with incredible uncertainty. That throne must hold Jesus or the future is completely uncertain for all of us, no matter how much money, no matter how much power, no matter how much influence you carry with you. At the end of the day, you're fearful for that moment when the neurons stop firing in your brain. And then you will be analyzed. You will either be a cautionary tale or you will be a story of great triumph. If you're taking notes, write this down. Some of you might need to tattoo this somewhere. You ready? False gods don't send fire. Say that again. False gods don't send fire. It doesn't matter how devout you are. It doesn't matter how loud you shout. It doesn't matter how good you dance. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much clout, fame, authority you have in this world. False gods don't send fire. Your master's strength will be analyzed. Best example I can give of that to you in Scripture comes from Luke 24. You don't have to turn there. But in Luke 24... You get the story. Excuse me, Luke twenty-three. You get the story of the of the centurion. The centurion's the one who's been with Jesus from the beginning of his trial all the way to when he takes his last breath. This is the centurion that saw the power and the authority that the culture holds uh, from the religious leadership. He's the one who gets to see the power and authority that Rome holds because Jesus is again uh, sentenced to be crucified. He's the one that gets to see the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the soldiers take Jesus in the back and beat him up out of sight to try to get him to recant before they send him to the cross. He's the one that gets to watch Jesus struggle up the hill to the point that he can't even and carry his own cross and has to pick someone else out of the crowd to carry the cross up the hill. He gets to watch Jesus willingly lay out his arms to have the nine-inch nails drug through them, willingly lay out his feet to have the nine-inch nails drug through it. He gets to watch Jesus as he forgives one thief on one side and take the verbal abuse from the thief on the other side of the cross. And then while he's up there, he sees Jesus say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he hears Jesus cry out, It is finished. In that moment, it says the sky grows dark. The earth begins to shake. And all of a sudden, there's that centurion who has analyzed the whole process, who has watched the journey of the Son of God across what they call the Via Dolorosa. Again, that way of suffering that he took for you and for me. And all of a sudden, looking up above the cross is a sign that says, King of the Jews. That's what Pilate had written that Jesus had claimed to be. But that centurion, in that moment, looks and says, Surely this man, what? Is the Son of God. What he says there is not the press release that's been put up in front of the cross. What he says is, from what I've seen, from what I've experienced, from what I've analyzed, the throne in this man's life is that he is the Son of God. He is the one who was sent to save us. Now, listen, we can all do better. But on the throne in your life, there are some of you that are trying desperately to put Jesus on that throne every single day. We call it being a disciple. But my question for you today is, is your life an accurate reflection of what God is doing in the hearts of the world around you as well? Are you an accurate reflection of our God and who it is that sits on your throne? Your works don't save you, but man, it is a powerful thing when believers in Jesus Christ live with real integrity. In this passage, it's so interesting. As they dance around the altar, Elijah calls out and taunts them, but he's really talking to the people in the middle. If you're taking those little question for you, are godly people cautioning you about your life's direction? Let me ask that again. Are godly people cautioning you about your life's direction? Are you an accurate reflection of what a relationship with Almighty God should look like? Or are you one who lives just as faithless as everybody else around you? My goal is that you would not end up a tragic individual, that you would love God, you would receive salvation, but that you would also be somebody worthy of looking up to as a reflection of who God is in and through your life, how he could change their lives as well. Now we're gonna look at two verses and we'll close. We're actually gonna end before the miracle, and I'm doing that on purpose because for the prophets of Baal, this is the end of their story. This is the end of their pursuit. And if God is not the one on your throne in your life, this is how you will end as well. Look with me at 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 28 and 29. After the taunting from Elijah... It says, so they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and with spears as was their custom, underline as was their custom until the blood flowed, midday passed and they continued in their frantic prophesying, underline frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice but there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. That's the end of a life lived for a false god. Nothing happens. The fire doesn't come and then you have to to answer for the way that you've lived and for the things that you've done. In this moment, it says they have a false god on their throne. They shout louder, but then the slash themselves is important. Remember, Baal is a god of human sacrifice. The thought of them at the end was we're trying to get Baal to send fire just by calling out and just by dancing, but all of a sudden they come up and they go, according to our law, according to this fake theology that we've written, we've we've, uh, killed people, Uh, so that they could get what they wanted. We've offered these human sacrifices. What they used to do in the Baal culture is if they wanted a good crop, they wanted it desperately enough, they would offer up their firstborn child as a sacrifice so that Baal could give them what they wanted. They had offered human sacrifices for good crops, for fertility. They'd offered human sacrifices again just so that they could have a good year. And I'm telling you, it is awful the things that they've done. So the prophets of Baal go, it's in our own theology. They're expecting a blood sacrifice here, so they begin to slash themselves and do this awful wickedness in front of the country, and they're sitting there going, we believed these guys? We followed that teaching? We listened to what they have to say? And it says they became frantic, but there was no answer, because false gods don't send fire. If you're taking notes, Why is it important to consider who or what you serve? Number one, your master's strength will be tested. Number two, your master's strength will be analyzed by others. And number three, sad but true, your devotion to your master will either be worth it or it won't. Let me say that again. Your devotion to your master will either be worth it or it won't. The tragedy is not just in what's happened here to the prophets of Baal. The tragedy is the people listened to them because they had written a theology that they wanted to jump into. They wanted to be successful. Whatever God they wanted to sit on that throne could sit there and they could avoid doing what the one true God has said is right and real. If you're taking notes, write this down. Last quote, misplaced faith always leads to a time of tragic, frantic desperation. Let me say that again. Misplaced faith always leads to a time of tragic, frantic desperation. Two final stories, and we'll call it a day today. In Scripture, you get two individuals where you get to see in their life, specifically, that what they were working towards was worth it or was not. Both stories end in the person dying. And both people had a foundation in Christ that was very, very strong. The first was a man named Judas Iscariot. You see, Judas had a throne in his life. And as long as there were 40 chairs out there, as long as there were 30 chairs out there, 20 chairs, and even two chairs out there, then Christ could be a part of that inner circle in his life. But all of a sudden, Judas and money sat on the throne of his own life, And they approach Judas and say, will you betray Jesus to you? We'll give you 30 pieces of silver. I believe it's A.T. Robertson, the commentator, that writes it this way. A.T. Robertson says the reason that 30 pieces of silver is important is because that was the going rate for a slave during that time. They have just said to Judas, will you sell your master to us? And Judas comes back and says, what master? Yeah, give me the 30 pieces of silver and the one that I kiss. I'll kiss him on the cheek and that's the one that you need to take away and you need to crucify. You remember how Judas' story ends? He thinks they're just going to rough Jesus up. He doesn't realize the extent of this. And so all of a sudden, he goes back into the temple and they've used him like a piece of meat. Judas comes in and he goes, it wasn't supposed to be like this. I want to give the money back. And they go, Whoa, 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 we can't have blood money here in the temple. Sorry, Judas, we got what we wanted from you. And by the way, didn't you get what you want as well? But that money doesn't fill the void in his soul. And really, that element of control, him controlling his own life, doesn't fulfill the void that's in his soul. So, what does he do? Instead of having the story of Peter, who had denied Jesus but went back to him, can you imagine if we had the story in Christendom of Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, coming back as a believer and becoming a disciple again? The testimony. Would have been a it would have been amazing. Would have been massive. But instead, he takes matters into his own hands and he takes his own life because that void can never be filled. At the end, it's either worth it to follow your God, or it's not. In Acts seven, the opposite story is the story of Stephen. Stephen is the first Christian to be martyred. And Stephen's in some pretty dire circumstances. Stephen walks into a situation where he's sharing the gospel. And in the middle of him sharing the gospel in front of the people in his city, they get so angry that they stone him to death. Stoning was not just throwing rocks. Stoning was one of the most primal ways to kill someone because they took the boulders and they'd break your legs, they'd break your arms, they'd separate your shoulders, and then when you couldn't move, they would bash your skull in with a boulder one of the most primal ways to kill someone, and it's the reason it was connected to blasphemy. It's this primal, primal moment. Listen to me. He's staring that in the face, and he calls out to Almighty God. Look with me, if you will. This isn't going to be in your notes, but look with me, if you will, at Acts chapter 7, verse 54. I want to read this to you. In Acts 7, here's what it says. It says, It says, when the people heard this, that's the testimony he gave about Jesus, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, look at this, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven. And he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and they yelled at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. Look at this. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's the one looking on and analyzing what's taking place in the moment that we talked about. Just like the people on Mount Carmel, Saul is watching this unfold. He's seeing the testimony of Stephen. He's seeing the f- hope and the faith that he has. Look at verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen looks up to heaven and prayed, Lord Jesus receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord do not hold this sin against them. And then when he had said this he fell asleep. You have to picture this. Stephen again in this moment looks up. He's given his whole life to this moment. He's about to be brutally murdered for his faith. The first one since Jesus brutally murdered for faith. And he's sitting there and he looks up. The heaven's open up and the Lord says we're cheering you on from heaven we're cheering you on you just wait it's about to be paradise for you he looks up and then I love that where it says he falls on his knees and cries out father into your hands I commit my spirit after he said just like Jesus forgive them they don't know what they're doing falling on his knees is him submitting to the beating falling on his knees is submitting to them bashing his skull in False gods, don't send fire. Trouble comes for all of us. Each one of us one day will stand before God and you will defend the good and bad things that you've done in this world. And if you don't have Jesus as your advocate, there is no hope for you. It doesn't matter how much money you had. It doesn't matter how sharp you are, how creative you are. It doesn't matter how much good you wanted to do or even did do. At the end of the day, either you're on one bridge or the other. Jesus himself says it's sheep and goats. No sheep goats out there. You're either sheep, or you're a goat. Where do you fall today? You got one throne. And the final question for you today is, is it going to be worth it? Is it going to be worth it? Either it is or it isn't. Do you stand before God and go, but I got to D.C., I got a good job, I got a good spouse, I got a good life, I did good things. At the end of the day, listen to me, kids, it's all gonna burn, all of it. Anything apart from Almighty God does not last for eternity. One final verse, I know we're over time, okay? And it's cold, so we're gonna go fast. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 10. For preachers, this is a verse that haunts our dreams, and I want to share it with you today. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 10. Here's what it says. It says, "For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him, for the things done in the body, whether good or bad." Even Bill Gates knows when the neurons stop firing, something happens. Are you prepared for that moment or does something else that doesn't send fire sit on that throne? I love you guys. Thanks for listening today. This isn't meant to be a negative message. It's meant to be a sobering one. Let's do business with the Lord in these final moments. If you bow your heads. with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me. We call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. It's just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. Once they get into place, I'd like to ask even the band not to look around on this one. This is just a moment of you... And God, draw a little circle around yourself so that you can truly just do business with God in this moment. With nobody looking around but just me, are there any of you Christians in this room today that would say, Zach, and again, I don't want anybody looking, even the band's gonna be turned around. Is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, pray for me. I'm a Christian, but the Lord doesn't sit on the throne today with nobody looking but just me, if that's you, I just want to pray for you. If that's you, if you just indicate that by raising your hand, thank you for your courage. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. Anybody else? If that was you, I want to encourage you. Today's the best time to start. Pray this simple prayer with me. If that was you, pray this simple prayer. Lord, the throne belongs to you. Lord, the throne belongs to you. When I've prayed that prayer in my own life, there's usually something that pops into my head that I know needs to be done in order for that to be true. If that's you, commit to God that you'll do that thing. Second, with nobody looking around but just me, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? the Lord sits on my throne but honestly I'm not a very good reflection at this point with nobody looking but just me I've been there too if you're here and you'd say Zach pray for me pray that I would be a clear reflection so that when people look on my life when they look at my life that they might see the fingerprints of Jesus if that's you I just want to pray for you by the way we can all do better but if this is a special holy moment for you This is a special moment. I want to encourage you. I just want to pray for you. If you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Ready, set, go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you for that. If that was you, I'm going to pray for you. But you've got a commitment you need to make to the Lord. Just ask him, Lord, make me a clear reflection of who you are. Lord, make me a clear reflection of who you are last but not least maybe there are some of you watching this or some of you that are here today and you would say Zach I've never had a moment when I chose the Jesus bridge when I picked a side I'm the one wavering between two opinions but today I'm ready for the first time I want Jesus to sit on that throne in my life I want him to be my God with no one looking but just me if that's you Every Christian has had to have that moment when they chose Jesus for the very first time. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, I'm doing that today. I'm choosing Jesus. He is the Lord of my life, and I will follow him. If that's you, nobody looking but just me, I just want to pray for you. If that's you, if you would just raise your hand where you are right now, it's the most important decision you'll ever make. If that was you I just want to rejoice with you if that was you I'm gonna be over here at the front on your way out today just let me know you made that decision so I can rejoice with you and for those of you watching on Facebook or YouTube just type in the comment section for someone to message you and TJ will reach out right here right now to make sure he encourages you in that decision as well I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll stand to our feet Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you so much for the chance to study your word. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ for those who are here today claiming that something else other than you has sat on the throne of their life but they want it to be you. Lord I pray in the name Jesus Christ that you would affirm them that you would encourage them and Lord that you would provide opportunities for them to continuously choose you. When we do that everything else falls into focus as your word tells us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Lord our life is in balance when you sit on the throne. Remind us of that and fulfill that promise. Lord for those who are here today wanting to be a clear reflection give them courage and strength to cling to you to do what's right even when the culture says otherwise and Lord I pray that through that you would bless them and then Lord if anyone is believing in you for the first time give them the courage to speak the words with their mouth that Jesus is Lord to speak what's taking place in their heart there's no secret agent Christians out there either you is or you isn't Lord, I pray that you would give them courage to tell someone today. I love you, Lord. Speak in power in these final moments. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.